So first, a little bit, uh, oh, I was told to introduce myself. So I've told you I'm chief of surgery here. I got my uh, MD degree at the Johns Hopkins. Uh, uh, got a PhD in biophysics at Harvard, finished my surgical residency at the Brigham Hospital uh, in Boston, and then came down uh, to the NIH, <clears throat> where I've uh, been for, uh, for several decades. Just a word about the, the NIH. We're on the central campus of the NIH, which is the hub of medical research, not only for the United States, but for the, for the world. National Institutes of Health comprise 27 different institutes. The budget of the NIH is $28.6 billion, a budget that doubled. Uh, over the last uh, seven years, and you'll be hearing some about that from Dr. Zerhouni. The NIH supports research around the world. 50,000 competitive grants are given uh, that cover almost 325,000 scientists and support personnel. Numbers to just give you some idea of the breadth of what the NIH does. 3,000 different universities and research institutes around the world receive funds from the, uh, from the NIH. And so the goal of the NIH is to support medical and scientific research aimed at improving the health of mankind. Now, this campus uh, holds the administrative groups that deal with this extramural funding, but the building that you're in now is quite different, and let me tell you a little bit about, uh, about it. You're in the Clinical Research Center was a building you came into, which is a hospital that is about 250 beds that are devoted strictly to medical research. Half of all of the NIH-funded research beds in the world are in this building. In addition to uh, a state-of-the-art hospital and in, the, uh, in our own group, doing immunotherapy research, we always have at least a dozen uh, patients with uh, cancer that we're, uh, that we're treating at any one time, and often many more. Uh, that's immunotherapy, many others in other, uh, in other protocols. In addition to the medical research that's ongoing, there are uh, about 2,500 scientists that are doing basic research, interacting often with the clinicians that are involved in patient care. So the hospital itself is, is quite unique. It exists for only one reason, and that is to make progress. And so there's no other hospital like it in the world. We have no emergency ward. We have no community that depends upon us for care. If you're a patient with a disease that can be successfully treated with modern medicine, we will not allow you to be admitted as a patient. We accept referrals only from referring physicians and only accept patients that have problems that cannot be solved by today's medicine. And so everyone admitted to this hospital is admitted to the hospital either to take part in experimental clinical protocols attempting to improve find improved treatments for patients with uh, diseases that are today considered uh, incurable, or to study the natural history of disease. And so every patient that comes into the hospital, 100%, come into the hospital on pre-written, proscribed protocols 
that are attempting to not deliver the medicine of today, but in fact to attempt to develop the medicine of tomorrow. So this intramural program, uh, and you'll be hearing from the leaders of several of the, uh, of the groups, is solely, divide, uh, solely devoted to, uh, to performing this kind of, of clinical research that is married to the basic research going on in the institution uh, as well. So to try to introduce what it is we do before we move to the more formal uh, discussions by some of the other institute directors, I thought it would be valuable with many of you interested in, in medicine and uh, in science to provide first an example of the kinds of work that we do. And we're going to devote the first uh, 45 minutes or so of this to the study of cancer and as an example of the development of what we think is one of the most exciting new developments in the treatment of uh, cancer patients and that is uh, the development of immunotherapy and gene therapy, new approaches that attempt to take advantage of the body's immune system, often with genetic manipulations now, first described uh, just six months ago, that are attempting to develop new treatments for patients with, uh, with cancer. So as I mentioned, we always, with these experimental immunotherapy protocols, have about a dozen patients in the hospital at any, uh, at any one time. And it turns out that with our immunotherapy clinics, that involve the care of patients with receiving these new immunotherapies. We uh, have those clinics on Tuesday and Thursday afternoon, and patients that are seen on Thursday often come from all around the country, as many patients from west of the Mississippi as east. Uh, patients come and have their follow-up studies. And we have two patients that are here today that are part of these experimental protocols, both of whom uh, with advanced cancer, taking part in these studies, and I'd like to introduce you to them and have them tell a little bit of their stories, which will serve to provide an example of the kind of work that we do. So I'd like to uh, ask uh, Mr. Wilson with Mr. Rodriguez to come on uh, down. And what we'll do over the next few minutes is have you hear the stories of what they've been through, and then I'll spend a little bit of time providing some of the details of, the, uh, of these treatments. So both of these patients have very kindly uh, agreed to share, uh, to share their stories, and they know each other uh, and have met each other. In fact, I think Doug Wilson was involved in, uh, in talking to one of our other patients before he, uh, before he came here. So we'll start with uh, Doug Wilson, who I'm going to hand this. Doug, so just put that in your lap and just speak right into this. So Doug, tell what I'd like you to do is just, in fact, let me clip this on to your, be a little easier for you. So Doug, I'd like you to tell the, uh, the group, as uh, I mentioned to you before, we have students that are visiting with us from over 50 different countries around, uh, around the world. These are perhaps some of the most accomplished of uh, our young uh, young investigators that are anxious to hear a little bit about what the NIH is like, and I thought that your story and that of uh, Mr. Rodriguez would be interesting to them. So why don't you uh, begin? You're how old? I'm 39. And what kind of work do you do? I'm president of a personnel company. We have 53 locations in nine states. And where do you, where do you work? I work for a company called Ambassador Personnel. Okay. So 
We're going to talk about two patients that have a kind of disease called melanoma. This is a kind of cancer that starts in black molds in the skin, and once it disseminates, there are no known uh, effective treatments for it, with the exception of some of the immunotherapies that we're in the course of developing. So, Doug, let's, if you could just tell the group how you first found out that you had melanoma when you first had a lesion, where it was. Let's hear a little bit about your, uh, about your experiences. Okay. Um, the first sign that I had to, that I was, had a problem was I had a swelling under my right arm in my, in my lymph glands. I didn't actually have a mole that turned a different color or posed a problem. So I went and I was diagnosed in January of, of 04 and I had surgery in February of 04 and they re removed right at 60 lymph nodes from under my right arm through the right side of my neck. And out of those 60, somewhere around 50 were tumorous, had tumors in them. So I was, I've been very lucky where I live. The, uh, Dr. Oldham is a doctor that used to work here and actually moved to Thomasville, so he was my oncologist. And when he met me and the, I guess the, the extent of the disease that I had and melanoma coming back the way it is or way it does, he suggested that I try to get in a, a clinical trial at the National Institute of Health. So at that point, you knew the tumor had spread to the axilla, to the lymph nodes, but they had been removed. And did you have any disease at that time? No, sir. No. Okay. And so I, I came up in March and got in a protocol, and it was a vaccine protocol. And I started, and I came up every three weeks and got a shot in my leg that I guess it was a vaccine that was supposed to help your immune system fight off the return of, of the cancer. And then it came back again and it came back in the, the right side of my neck and in the back of my neck. So if you'll excuse me every once in a while, just to provide some clarification, when a melanoma has spread to lymph nodes, which is its first area of regional spread, and those lymph nodes are removed, the likelihood of the cancer occurring is very high. And when you have as many lymph nodes as uh, Mr. Wilson did, the chances are almost 90, 95% that the tumor will return. And so we were performing a clinical protocol testing an experimental vaccine to see if we could improve the chances that it would not return, and that's what Mr. Wilson received. Go ahead, Doug. And it, it did come back, like I said, under in my neck and on the back of my neck, and we had surgery again, and we, did, I guess, got declared cancer-free again. We, I didn't have any, anything we could find, and then it came back again, and it came back under my left arm this time. So I had surgery again, and, and we went on the IL-2 treatment. Okay, so interleukin-2 is one of the treatments we first developed here in 1985. It's a general immune stimulator, and we demonstrated here in the clinical center in trials uh, that, in fact, in about 15% of patients with melanoma once it's spread, the administration of this immune stimulator could actually cause the regression of the disease, but it does not work in 85% or so uh, of patients. So you went through how many courses of IL-2? I believe there were three different sets. Right. And some part of the cancer that I had had reduced itself, but I had some new cancer that had come back. So it, it wasn't doing away with everything we had. So we had to come up with a different program then. And I had colon surgery to re remove a big tumor that was on my colon. And once we got healed up from that, I was able to start the till cell treatment in July of last so year. So at that point, when you started the current experimental treatment, 
what, did, what were you experiencing? I know you had the colon problem. It was bleeding. We had to operate to remove part of uh, Mr. Wilson's colon because the tumor had spread throughout his abdomen as well as his lymph nodes. As you can tell from what I'm saying, that every patient that we treat knows everything that we know about their disease. We keep nothing from our patients. They have to be active participants in any experimental protocol, the benefits of which we're not sure of, the toxicities of which we are also uh, not sure of, and so we share all of our information with patients. Now, we normally would never share one patient's information with another, but it turns out that Mr. Wilson and Mr. Rodriguez have known each other, and they know each other's story, so we're having them here together. So at that point, we had taken out your colon because there was one lesion there that was causing bleeding and partial obstruction of the intestine. And what did you feel about, uh, what could you tell about where your cancers were? Well, I knew I, knew I had a, a tumor that was on my neck because you could physically see it, and it was, it was getting larger. And I had one on my side that you could also see. So I, I knew I had two that that you could actually see with the naked eye. And from my scans, I realized that, you know, there was several in a lot of other places. Right, so we had CAT scans, transverse cuts through the body, which showed well over a dozen different cancers that were throughout Mr. Wilson's body. So you say you notice they were growing. How big were the tumors that you, uh, that you could feel? They were both larger than a golf ball. Okay, and you, you could actually see them growing? Yes, sir. You could tell they were growing? Okay. So at that point, having treated Mr. Wilson with interleukin-2, he, uh, he had first received the vaccine, which did not prevent the cancer from coming back. We then treated him uh, with IL-2, which again did not work. And as I'll be discussing in a, in a bit, we then put Mr. Wilson on the most aggressive of our very new protocols, a treatment we'd been working on for the past uh, six years or so, that involved the ability uh, to remove cells from a patient, remove a tumor, identify lymphocytes that were reactive against that patient's cancer. So from some of the tumor we removed from the colon and from the lymph nodes, we had identified immune lymphocytes that based on in vitro assays could recognize Mr. Wilson's cancer. We then grew them in large numbers educated them, I'll talk to you a little bit about the science behind that, uh, and then uh, administered them back. Mr. Wilson was one of the first patients to receive this very highly experimental treatment, and that was when? July of last year. And tell us about that. The, I was number three number in the three. In the three. Okay. I, I came in in July and, and had a few tests run to make sure I was a, a candidate, I guess, for, you have your vision done, you check your teeth to make sure that you're in good enough shape to go through the treatment. And then we started with uh, chemo and then radiation to shut my immune system down. I had total body radiation. And when we got my immune system shut down, we came back with the till cells and we gave them, a, I think, a day to work, a day to find everything that they needed to find. And then we started back with some stem cells that they had gathered from me so Before. Wilson has not gone to medical school, but he knows a lot about, uh, a lot about the science of what we do. We spend a fair amount of time explaining this.